brand new series, and I love the way that Eli Thibodeau says it. Jesus said, what? <laughs> so, probably my favorite part. And we're going to, throughout this series, we're going to be showing uh, some of their responses to some of the things uh, that Jesus said. Now we know, we know that it is not in the biblical account that Jesus ever said verbatim, sometimes you just got to stir up the water. We know that that's a little extra biblical, it's not necessarily unbiblical, but there are many things that Jesus said in Scripture that may not have made sense to the people that heard them when he said them. Okay, in other words, sometimes Jesus will tell us things and we will read things that he has already said that will not make any sense in that moment. If that hasn't happened to you yet, then just keep following Jesus, okay? Just keep going on this journey. I promise it's on the way, okay? And I mean that in the most encouraging way possible. Jesus will say some things that don't make any sense in the moment, okay? Um, for instance, in John chapter 5, when he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, he tells him, and by the way, very biblical scene, he did it on the Sabbath. Like, the day he wasn't supposed to do it. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus did a lot of things that society didn't think he was supposed to do. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, specifically, I, I, I believe this probably even, even more so to the youngest generation in the room right now. Now, it's certainly been for all of us that aren't as young as we used to be, and Megan's older than me, so if, <laughs> and she's, she, but it's 11 days, baby, that's further than a week, okay, so, <laughs> for the, for the youngest generation in here, here, here my, I guess, I, this may be even my, my daddy's heart, um, you're going to have to do things on behalf of the kingdom of God that are not going to make any sense to the society in which you live. Jesus did things that frustrated the culture and the society in which he lived. And one of those is in John chapter 5 when he heals this man at the pool of Bethesda and he told him, here's what he did say. He said, stand up, take up your mat and walk. Now, the reason that the chosen points out that take up your mat is because it went against spoken verbal law of that day. See, these people, these self-righteous godly people. You know any self-righteous godly people? I do. Don't point, don't point, don't point. Okay? It's not your opportunity to point. Okay, but but these self-righteous godly people who forgot that the only reason they're righteous is because of what Jesus did for them, not what they do for him. Uh, but these self-righteous, he, he liked to just frustrate them. And so he healed on the Sabbath and he said, hey, stand up. He could have just said, stand up and walk. And then it wouldn't have been quite as offensive. They would have still had, a, had an angst about it. But, but he said, pick up your mat. So now he's like gathering his things. He's moving, he's working. And, and they, they come to him and they say, 
Who told you you could stand up and, and, and work on the Sabbath and, and move your mat on the Sabbath? If this hasn't happened to you, I hope it doesn't. But sometimes when we have a really powerful encounter with God, when we just have an experience, when Jesus speaks to us alone in his word, and we go share it with people that we thought would be excited and celebrate with us, Sometimes it's those people that we thought would celebrate with us that are actually the ones that end up scrutinizing us. See, the ones that should have been celebrating that the Messiah had come and the miracle had been performed, they were actually the ones with the greatest amount of scrutiny. Self-righteous, so-called godly people. Scrutinizing. Calling it the gift of discernment. I'd Help me, help me, Lord. Replied, uh, you know, he replies to them, the man, the man that healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. And, and they demanded. And then we see this. I love this. In John chapter 5, 14, it says, but afterward. Hey, anytime that you're being scrutinized by people, you need to always know that there's going to be a but afterward by God. I'm telling you, you might want to circle that in your scripture if you have like a pen or, or highlight it real big or just write the word real big but afterward and just claim that over your situation today. Just proclaim that over your situation today. And always understand that there's always a but afterward on the other side of offensive people. If you'll just continue in the anointing instead of in their offense. Now, now, as encouraging as that is, watch what Jesus says. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. And he told him, hey, by the way, um, side note, this is kind of weird on the live stream because not really in here. But um, there's like a pretty decent storm sail heading towards us at the moment. Okay, don't get scared. We believe in Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but if the lights flicker or you hear things or we've already got, we've got men and women in the back who are taking care of all of our children. And, and if everything shuts down, we're just going to maybe open up the doors or turn on some extra lights or whatever. Um, and, and it's going to be all okay. Okay. So don't look at your phones. It's coming. Okay. It's <laughs> when you hear it, that's it. Okay. So now you're, now you're warned. Jesus said, but look what Jesus said. He said, now you're well, so stop sinning. Oh, I thought I could just be saved. And no, no, no. Paul actually addresses this several times. Do not consider your liberty, if you will, layman translation as a license. He says, hey, you're well. You're, you're, you're forgiven. You're healed. You're saved. You're restored. You're redeemed. Now go live that way. Or, watch this, or something even worse may happen to you. I don't know about you, but I just see, I see my Nana right now. <laughs> like, uh, Jesus just became my Nana in my head. Like, look, boy, <laughs> you better stop that sinning. <laughs> yes, Nana. How do you know I was sinning? I know everything. Okay, so, <laughs> or something worse going to happen. Something worse is going to happen to you. This is a, this is a prophetic warning. Like, God doesn't just give away His grace for no reason. He gives it away. But He gives it away for a purpose. Write this down. It's not point number one. I probably should have made it point number one so I didn't get like halfway through the sermon and go, Number one, my Lord, how much longer is He going to preach? Okay, so 
This is really the power statement of the day. It's what we're really kind of hinging the whole series on. We need to understand that what Jesus proclaimed was never popular. When you begin to live by what Jesus proclaimed, you're going to lose some popularity. You need to expect it. Hey, what Jesus proclaimed about racism and unity, what Jesus proclaimed about kingdom versus culture, was never popular. In fact, it's never been popular even in this country. From our birth in 1776 to the first hundred years or so in 1860 to our Juneteenth celebration, which some of you are like, what is Juneteenth? I know, that's sad, right? That was the day that we celebrate that we were emancipated from the sin-stained sickness called slavery upon this nation. And then you fast forward into the 60s and God knows what all between, oh my goodness, the the, the Cuban Missile Crisis and the, the sexual revolution and, and the civil rights movement. I mean, we're worse than we've ever been. Really? Are we? <laughs> or is it just magnified? Because what Jesus proclaimed has never been popular. Hear me. Whether it's critical race theory or systematic racism or white fragility or white privilege, we've got to stop allowing mainstream media to determine how we feel about one another. When Jesus already settled the black, white, yellow, red, or whatever other skin tone we have, when he said Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, Samaritans, everybody that comes under the blood is under the blood and in him we are one so I can love police officers and African Americans all at the same time and I can refuse to accept segregation as part of God's will so I'm not satisfied with preaching to people that look like me I'm not satisfied with just coming to church with people that look like me you know why because there's going to be a bunch of people in heaven don't look like me. And I'm using earth to prepare for eternity. Jesus, now my wife and I have been reading through the gospel in 30 days since Easter. <laughs> it's true. By the way, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday a few weeks ago. That was 50 days after Easter. <laughs> 30, 50, we're, we're overachievers, okay? I finished college in five years. Most people do it in four. She did it in six. It's amazing. We're just... <laughs> she reads at night. I do it in the morning. Opposites attract. Uh, so she wakes me up at night. I try to uh, ever so slightly maybe wake her up in the morning. And so when she's reading, she's been reading through, and, and we're headed in the right direction. We're going to get it done. We just When you give us three chapters to read in a day, and I wake up early, I, I usually read one. So I'm like one for three. So I'm turning 30 into 90. It's good math. So... When she's reading, I have heard on several occasions, you know how you're like kind of dozing? You feel like it's that place where you're about to fall off of something. You know what I mean? And so I'm falling asleep, and all of a sudden, wow! It's more like, wow! You know, it's like, <laughs> and then she, Jesus is savage. Like, I don't even know where it was. such a millennial term, and she's Gen X. I don't even know until they moved it back. Anyways, Jesus is savage. And then we like begin to discuss these moments, like you read through the gospel, and it really is a, Jesus, Jesus said, what? He did, did you know that one time Jesus 
put his hand, his finger actually, he put his finger in somebody's ear, licked it, and then touched his tongue. My Savior gave somebody a double reverse wet willy. <laughs> and used it to heal him. <laughs> One time, he went into the church and started throwing stuff. Because they were, hey, by the way, because they were selling things. And by the way, before you leave today, if you want to buy a ticket for a burger, um, all proceeds go to the health fair. <laughs> and Jesus started throwing things. He started flipping tables and, and running people out of the church. One time, it's a very, it's actually addresses systematic racism at the time and, and racial reconciliation according to Scripture. Jesus actually looked at a woman, a Samaritan woman, the Bible says, and referred to her as a dog. Do not go try that today. Okay? Can you imagine if somebody would have Instagram live that moment that Jesus was like, oh, share, share, viral. You know how many people would have stopped following Jesus if they saw that clip today? But did you also notice in that passage that instead of being offended, she became anointed? And that you always have to choose between the two? One time Jesus looked at his, one of his closest followers, called him Satan. That's a little intense. I mean, like, he could have chosen a lot of things. He could have just called him Simon, you know, like, because that was his former name. But he didn't. He called him Satan. And then... We all like uh, the time that, that Luke referenced Jesus saying, you think I came to bring peace? I actually came to bring division. In fact, it's coming by the sword with fire. Jesus said, what? You got to think his disciples sat around like, dude, did you hear what he said? Did you catch that? What Jesus proclaimed was not popular. If, if you want to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there's a lot of places that you could look. But if you want like a summary, a synopsis, if you will, we're going to look at this circularly today. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. And I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse study of this chapter, but I do want to explicate my way through, if you will, um, right up front, Jesus begins to send his followers out into some of the communities, like, like we hope people go out, but Jesus says something that I, I don't know that I'm, I'm quite ready to say because I'm not Jesus. Jesus said, hey, if they receive you, then pray a blessing over them, but if they don't receive you, then walk out and shake the dust of that city off of your feet. Shake the dust off. Listen, hear me. Okay, you got to be careful with this because you're not Jesus. But sometimes when you've done all that you can do and prayed all that you can pray, I'm not saying stop praying or stop believing because God can do what is impossible for man. But there have been two Two scenarios in my life where I made an attempt to do what I thought God wanted me to do 
and it was not received, I, I literally, I physically walked outside to spiritually perform something for, for the stability of my soul in that moment. I took my shoe off and I poured water on my shoe and I said, Lord, you're going to have to send them somebody else. There are times that you have to do that. And you have to be very, very careful unless you wash some of your own arrogance onto your shoe. If you fast forward a little bit, Jesus is preaching. And look, look he didn't like, he didn't go over by like five minutes. It's not like he got into the 40s on his message and had too many cars piling up in the parking lot and had some parking attendants ready to hit him with a cone. Okay, this is... Jesus, what I'm not talking minutes over and making people hungry, even though he was probably hungrier because nobody's hungrier than me on Sunday by the time I get finished with this. Um, <laughs> but Jesus had probably likely been preaching for, for several hours, okay? And it's beginning to get dark. And the disciples come to him and they say, <laughs> they say to him, Lord, it's getting late. Guys, they interrupted his sermon. Okay, he had probably put some effort into this mess. He probably wasn't just shooting from the hip. Like, he'd probably been planning this and praying over it. And they just jump up and come up to him and interrupt his message. Now, three or four hours, I can't blame them, really. I mean, but they came and <laughs> listen to what they say. They say, Lord, um, the people are getting hungry. <laughs> Who's hungry? Okay, the people, Lord, we really need to let these people go home because they're going to need, they are going to need, they're so considerate, the disciples. Disciples are always the most considerate people. And, and they really, we really need to let them go because I don't know if you noticed, but you don't preach like a series this afternoon, okay? And so we need to let them go because they're going to be hungry. And Jesus goes, feed them. Now, that would be like you feeling like God laid something on your heart and catching me in between services and, and you tell me, you know, why doesn't the church da-da-da-da-da? And, so, and there have been times where sometimes I will be like, wow, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? That's what Jesus did to him. Except for it wasn't like 30 or 40 minutes. My man had been preaching for three or four hours. And then he says, then he says, what do you have? In other words, I don't need you to go get anything. I don't need you to go prepare anything. I need you to give me what you have. And if you'll give me what you have, then I will do what you're not able to. You feed them, he says. Just a few passages later, I'm telling you, there's so much in Luke chapter 9. Jesus asked this really important question. It's actually a really important question for you today. You ready? Here's what he's asking. Here's what he asked. Who do you say that I am? Hey, I mean this in the most cautious manner. If you can't answer this about your relationship with Jesus, you're in trouble. And I don't want you to be in trouble. I want you to be transformed. I don't care who Jesus is to your parents or your pastor or your church or the people around you. Jesus wanted to know who he was 
to the individual disciple. Now, here's the good news. This is the gospel. If you can't answer that question, you're one confession away for being out of trouble and back in him. You're one act of surrender away from being right where God wants you to be. Who, I think he's asking some people in this room right now, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is shocked in his humanity. He's like, Peter, the only way you got that answer right is if the Father in heaven revealed it to you personally. Okay? And then, now Matthew records this a little bit differently, but Luke gives from his perspective why Jesus actually asked this question. Watch what he says, verse 22 After Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the question, who do you say I am? Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, and he will be rejected by the elders. Look, I've never caught this before. This is what I love about the Bible. Every time I read or study a passage, even if I preach the sermon on it before, I discover something new. Why? Because this word is alive and active. He wants to reveal himself to you. Through what he's already said. Well, God's not speaking to me. No, you're not listening to what he's already said. But so you're, because you're not listening to what he's already said, he's not going to tell you anything new. So go see what he's already said, and then he can begin to speak fresh revelation based off obedience to previous revelation. The Son of Man, he said, must suffer many terrible things. See, that is not what Peter had in his head about the Messiah. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, in Peter's mind, he was thinking, and you're going to establish your throne, and I'm going to sit at your right hand. We're about to overthrow the Romans and march into Jerusalem. He had earthly things in his head. And Jesus said, hey, that's the right answer, but it's the wrong perspective. In other words, you can know exactly what to say And have the wrong heart. And still miss the moment. He said, hey, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. In fact, he will be killed. This is when Peter's like, "Uh, I don't think we're talking about the same person. Jesus, I don't know if you read the Old Testament or not, but uh, that's not exactly how that went in my head. He's got to be looking around at the disciples thinking, Jesus Jesus said, what? Jesus said he will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Now watch this. Jesus was correcting not Peter's answer. But Jesus was correcting Peter's attitude. Because even as God's people, we can quote God's word and we can give the right answer with the wrong attitude and still be wrong. So in verse 20, Jesus steps back away from this conversation with Peter. Because that's who he's talking to, Peter and the disciples around. He steps back away. And the Bible says, he says to the crowd. Can you see this happening in this passage? He steps back away from this small group. 
that he was having a personal conversation with. And now he speaks up to the crowd and he says, if any of you want to be my follower, you have to give up what you want. See, we don't get to believe all the blessings of God and ignore the cost of actually following his will for our lives. These are not sacred recommendations. They're actually requirements for godly living. If any of you want to be my follower. Now I know a lot of people that say they follow Jesus. And you've heard me say this before. I've met very few people who would say openly. I don't believe in God. But I've met a lot of people that say they do believe in God. They just live like they don't believe in God. And Jesus said, this is not what I'm calling you to. I'm not calling you to just repeat a prayer after your pastor check in once a month and call it faithfulness. I'm actually calling you to much more. If you want to be my follower, then you've got to give up your own way. And then Luke records it specifically this way. Take up your cross Original Greek word, daily. See, this is recorded in some of the other Gospels from some of the other perspectives. But only Luke is the one that adds the word daily. Why? Because Luke was a follower of Paul. And Paul understood that at any moment I could decide to go back to what Jesus delivered me from. At any moment, if not careful, Paul understood that it's not enough for me to just proclaim salvation. Okay? Paul said, I have to work out my salvation, not weekly, not monthly, not tragically, because that's the only time that some people actually come to Jesus. But Luke said, daily. This is what Jesus told him. From his perspective. And then he said, and follow me every day. These are the tough sayings of Jesus. Hey, if you're taking notes, this is really not number one, but it's how we listed it. Number one, listen. Listen. When is the last time that you listened to God? When is the last time that you didn't let mainstream media or social media or some group of friends determine how you feel about Jesus, people, and society? What if we really spent as much time listening to him as we do listening to everything else that everybody else has to say? No, seriously. What if we spent as much time in scripture as we do scrolling? Allowing our perspective. And, and, and listen, I know that the youngest generation is really guilty of it right now because they're scrolling predominantly on social media. But every generation has been allowing their worldview to be dictated about what they listen to and who they listen to. From country music, to entertainment, to the newspaper. Some of y'all still read the newspaper? You get a newspaper? It's, it's good? Okay. But yeah, no. We do it at the office just because we want to support the local news. And you know. <clears throat> and if Chris F-R-E-Y shows up on the newspaper, praise God. So... <laughs> It's not how you spell my last name. But we listen to so many different things. And everything we listen to 
begins to determine and establish our worldview. And my question is, is it biblical? Or is it American? Is it determined by Fox News, CNN, Newsmax, AFR, or Scripture? Is it somebody else's highlight reel that stimulates me on a daily basis? Or is it spending time with Jesus and listening to him? The next part of this chapter is what is referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. This is one of my favorite scripts, like passages, stories in the whole Bible. Like, if I could have been anywhere in the Bible, I would have wanted to be here. And the Bible says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He took three and left nine. But if you look at the context of the passage, he was probably talking to a lot of people. And in the middle of having a conversation with a whole lot of people following him, he's like, all right, y'all stay here. Uh, you three come with me. And he just left them. And apparently the nine didn't start their own church or anything. It's crazy. He took them up on the mountain. That's what we do whenever uh, our leader does something that we don't like. We just look for a new leader. That's another sermon for another day. So he took Peter, James, and John, and, and they went up on the mountain. And then the Bible says that they began to pray. Okay, And as they began to pray, the glory of the Lord began to fall upon Jesus. And his face began to shine like the sun. Very similar to what happened to Moses on Mount Sinai. And then the Bible says that his clothes began to shine like this bright white light. And Moses and Elijah... Moses representing the exodus of God's people. Elijah representing the resurrection of God's people. And the Father all descend down from heaven upon this mountain. And the Son of Man begins to shine and reflect the glory of the Father of God. And Peter, James, and John are so moved by this moment that they went to sleep. Like some of you. <laughs> They were so encouraged by what God was doing that they took a nap. Now listen, some people catch me after service and they're like, Oh, Pastor, that's such a powerful message. I was like, how do you know? She was like listening with your eyes closed. <laughs> you didn't get nothing. You got a nap. Man, you took a power nap. That's the only power you experienced through service. Like, y'all, I can see you right now. You do know that, right? <laughs> like these lights are bright, but I've learned to look right through them. <laughs> People come, oh, so good. <laughs> you a lie. <laughs> oh, the only thing that was good was your rest. That's not what the Bible means when it says rest in the Lord. They went to sleep. The most powerful, like all of us wanted to be. Everybody else would have wanted to be there. Watch, I've never caught this before when I read this passage. Verse 32, it says, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. And Moses and Elijah started to leave. But Peter, not even knowing what he was saying. Okay, listen. This is just a really practical principle. If you don't really know what you're saying, stop saying it. Okay, like... If you have to give the disclaimer, you know, I really shouldn't say this. You're right! 
And by the way, just because you say God bless them before you say doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want. When you know that, you gotta, you got to have spiritual discipline. It's called the spirit of shut up. I hope there's not a child in here offended by that. We have great children's ministry back here in the... So Peter, Peter thought, you know, I know I just slept through the sermon. But now that I'm awake... Watch what he says. He says, Lord, Master, it is wonderful for us to be here. (laughs) What? And I've made fun of this before, so I don't want to spend too much time here. But it's just, do you see yourself in the disciples anywhere sometimes? It's so good that we're here, self-righteous, godly people. Right answer, wrong attitude. Peter said, oh, it's so good that we're here. We should build a temple. Let us make three shelters of memorial, one for you and Moses and Elijah. Verse 34, but even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Verse 35, then a voice from the cloud said, Peter, shut up. Stop talking. The cloud said, this is my son. The chosen one. He's already settled all of the sin that is still causing you to be sick, even in this society. He is the only one that has the answer for all of the issues. Listen, listen to him. So we have to ask this question. As I listen to God's word, am I a hearer or a doer? Because James says that we should not just be a hearer, a listener, but that we should become a doer. In fact, if we back up just a few chapters in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, many of you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. Southern Christianity. Many of you call me Savior, but you're not being led by my Lordship. And showing up on Sundays is a great part of it because we are supposed to physically gather together as the house of God. Not at. Very important. You don't come to the house of God. You carry the house of God. And so it's significant that we show up on Sundays and that we physically gather together. But Jesus said, and I believe that it is a warning for the 21st century as well, That it's not enough to be southern, you have to be saved. Many of you say, say, Lord, Lord. But then Jesus says in Luke 6, I think it's around, I can't see my notes from here, it's not in your notes. He says, you don't do what I say. And then he begins to give this parable. He says, the person, the one who hears the word of God. And obeys or does it. They are the one. Who builds a foundation upon the rock. And so when 2020 happens. 
You want to know how spiritually sound you are? Go back and look at March and April of 2020. And you have a really good measure for the spiritual strength that you have established thus far. Were you shaken or stabilized? Because 2020 was a precursor for what I've read in that book. And when the storm comes, Jesus says, if you don't just hear, but you obey, you're more than a hearer. You become a doer of the word of God. When the storm comes, and your foundation is dug in deep and it's established upon solid rock. But if all you do is hear this message over and over and over again and you never do it, you are actually like the one who built the house on sand. And when the storm came, you sunk. In fact, the Bible says, That when the waves crashed and the wind blew, the whole thing came falling down. And everything that you thought you were is utterly destroyed. So listen. But even more importantly, do. It's not enough just to hear. We have have to do. And sometimes we're going to stumble. It doesn't mean we, we just give in and say, oh, we all stumble. No! I'm not going to stumble because I just accepted the fact that I'm going to stumble. If I'm stumbling, it's because I'm found walking. Not just because I surrender or submit to the fact that I'm going to stumble. I I, want to go five minutes down that trail. I'll say this and I'll leave it alone. There are way too many souls on the line for me to just surrender to stumbling. My children cannot afford for me to stumble. My legacy cannot afford for me to stumble. Now Jesus can save me from anything. But if I stumble too far, I can't go down this road too far. Now this is a warning. This is a prophetic warning for somebody. Stop stumbling. Start standing. Stop just admitting that the enemy is going to overcome you because the last time I checked, greater is he that is in you than the enemy that tries to come up against you no matter what form the enemy comes in. If you're in him. And here's how you know. You know that you know him if you keep. To be more than a doer, hearer, I'm sorry, but a doer. Of the word of God. Now, hearing is important. Paul wrote that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And how can you hear? How can you believe unless you've heard? And how can you hear unless the message is preached? And how can the preacher preach unless somebody sends them? Which is why giving and generosity is so important. But do you just work all week so you can play on Saturday? Like, is that why we go to work every week? Is that why we put so much energy and investment? Do we just slave ourselves away to this society so that we can serve the same gods on Saturday and then show up in a house on Sunday and say we're sanctified? 
Or do we work all week so that we can serve and build and grow the kingdom of God, not just on Sunday, but every other day that we have the opportunity to? See, one of them is biblical and one of them is American, and we will have to choose. Do the word of God. See, the difference for Jesus was seen in the doing. Now, it doesn't mean that you're saved by works. It's not what I'm saying at all. But your salvation is shown by works. Let's look at the last verse of this passage. I'm going to pray you out of here. Again, Luke 9, verse 62. This is one of the difficult sayings of Jesus. One of the hard sayings. Jesus told him, and you can look at who the him is referencing to. There's a lot of people standing around in that moment and everybody that heard it applied or they wouldn't have written it for us to read. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit. Guys, that should scare the heaven into you. I'm not trying to cause you to walk out of here afraid and and, and, and scared that you're going to stumble and sin and end up in hell every day. That's not the purpose of the conversation. The purpose of the conversation is for us to recognize the cost of discipleship. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back. I have seen so many people give their lives to Jesus and take it back again. It breaks my heart. I have celebrated people for what they have allowed God to do in their lives and then looked up in just a few months and watched them give their lives back to the world, back to the enemy, and back to their flesh. I've seen it over and over and over again. And some doctrines would say, oh, well, they're still saved. But my scripture says something completely different. Jesus said, if you look back, You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Again, here's the good news. As I close, Jesus knew when he came that we weren't fit for the kingdom of God. And so, what is the cost of discipleship? The cost of discipleship is what Jesus was willing to pay for you to become a disciple. The cost of discipleship is what Jesus was willing to pay for you to be healed like the guy at the pool of Bethesda. For you to become a follower even though you got a mouth like Simon Peter. (laughs) For you to begin to walk in God's will for your life even though it will be the most difficult task that you ever undertake. Here's the final phrase. We're not saved because we serve. It's not by works, lest any man should become self-righteously arrogant. But by the grace of God, through faith, we receive salvation. Told you it was coming. (laughs) Hear this, and I'll pray us out. He saved us. So because he saved us, we serve him. Be like the one who heard 
applied, obeyed, and did the word of God. No matter what society is screaming, no matter what culture is confusing, what Jesus proclaimed has never been popular. But since the day that he created to the day that he came to the day that he's coming back, it has always produced. Let him produce it through you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, move in this room right now. God, show us the areas of our lives where we may have not completely surrendered to you. Lord, let us get back in your word as, as summer comes and, and we're planning vacations and, and times of rest and, and times of enjoying one another's company. And those things are important. But God, let us not leave you here. Let us not take a vacation from Jesus, but with Jesus. Let us spend time in your presence, time in your word. Listen to your words that you have said and then apply them to our lives and actually become a follower, not just a fan. Lord, show us in what areas we may not have been following you fully. Friendships, family, worldview, perspective, what we're listening to, watching, where we're going, where we're not going. God, whatever it is, come on, show us right now. If you're in the room right now, as the church is evaluating, as every follower of Jesus is evalu evaluating right now and examining, God, what are you telling me? I want to ask you, do you understand the cost of discipleship? Do you understand how much Jesus paid to have a relationship with you? Not to give you a bunch of rules that you have to struggle to follow, but to have a relationship with you. If you need that relationship this morning, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, or maybe you did and you have, but you have not been following Him, and today the Holy Spirit has been stirring in you, and you have a sense of nervous conviction, God wants to fix that. But He needs you to surrender. So I want to invite you, if that's you, right where you are, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, if you need to receive salvation today, as the church is praying, I want to invite you to open your hands right where you are. Just open your hands in your lap and posture yourself in a position to surrender. Every follower of Jesus is about to join you, but we're going to ask that you would pray out loud today. So as the church begins to pray and declare with you, we want to invite you to begin your journey by confessing Jesus as Lord. Come on, let's say this together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen. I've been distracted. I've doubted. I've disobeyed. That sin cleanse me and save me from this world, the enemy, and myself. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my sin. That was the cost for my life. Take my life. Make it yours. I believe you raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, to follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?